So I think one of the most common misconceptions when people are first learning about meditation, deciding they might want to start meditating, is that they're supposed to not be thinking. That meditation is all about stopping thinking. And since most people can't imagine doing that, a lot of people just give up before they start because they find that to be an impossible task. And then once people really learn, they obviously learn, you're not going to stop thinking. That's not required. And um, even somebody as uh, experienced a meditator as Pema Chodron says her brain has never stopped being extraordinarily chatty in all these years. So once that um, misconception is, um, is let go, then we can um, stop all the things that are part of that misconception that lead to this firestorm of self-blame, that people aren't good at meditating, or an aversion to sitting because that's not gonna, it's not gonna work for them to be able to do that, and so many forms of suffering. So, um, so just like today, if we can shift into a position of curiosity, and I think really gratitude for thought as a worthy um, uh, aspect of our meditation and object of our meditation, then um, then it becomes fun to think <laughs> while we're meditating. Um, so um, if we don't um, see thought as our enemy, thought is an incredible gift. And to be really grateful for our brains as thinkers uh, and to have that stance towards it, I think softens us into being able to really have a very different idea about how to be with thoughts when we meditate. Um, so that even though, yes, we do want to relieve ourselves of thinking, uh, as Robert Frost said, the, there's no way out but through. So we have to go through our thoughts. So when I thought about sort of what are the ways to work through thoughts, I came up with eight of them, and eight's a lucky number in Buddhism, the eightfold path. So <laughs> um, there are eight ways that I sort of thought that we could think about how to work with thoughts. So first, think more off the cushion. Um, our world today does not allow very much time for thinking. People used to do a lot of thinking when they were waiting for things, when they were driving, when they were you know, on, on public transport, when they were washing the dishes. There was a lot of time that people had for free-floating thinking. And it's an incredible loss in our world that we don't have enough thinking time. And so if the only time that we're not doing something else is when we're meditating, we're going to think much with much more ferocity of intent because our brains really want to think. And this is no more true than in the parenting phase of life when you're just slammed up to, with so much busyness to do that to just decide in addition to one's meditating time, one needs to find time to think. Um, our oldest daughter used to just be just... <laughs> just very protective of that and like at night she'd always say I need time to think my thoughts like stop reading to me and leave me alone I need time to think all my thoughts and when we were driving turn that off I need to think my thoughts it was the most unusual thing um, that she had a sense that that was the case and I'm not sure what they were they were very hers but so give yourself permission to think plenty off the cushion second um, Today I use the movie theater or the, the phone really coming up with, for you, a strong metaphor. A lot of times it's the river. 
something that you can have a little disconnect to watch. The river of thoughts, the train of thoughts, the movie of thoughts, the smartphone of thoughts, that, that ability to chunk back and see this is a, a clouds passing, the headspace guy is big into the clouds, whatever it is that works as your image, um, I'd, I'd cultivate that so that you really can become, oh, that's the show that's playing, whatever works. Have that image and, and, and um, make that your relationship to thoughts. Um, then, just like we did today, find another focus. A bodily focus is usually helpful. It can be a mantra. For some people, their thoughts just are so loud that it needs to be some other mental activity. The body is not enough of a refuge, so that's where you know, transcendental meditation and other mantra-based meditations are so helpful at the beginning because having a mantra that what can be anything, it can just be, be quiet, whatever it, you want it to be, just if your brain is having to do that other <coughs> syllable, it can, it can give you some refuge and put the thoughts a little bit further. Just like counting of breaths, the reason counting of breaths can be helpful, or the labeling of breaths, in, out, short, long, um, whatever that um, activity with the breath, or, or like warm, warm, cold, if you have a body part, you're getting yourself as, as your object. If you put a word or a label to that, that can help quiet thinking to play with that. Again, not that thinking's wrong, but just to give you some distancing. If you just every time get right on the train, you might say, okay, I'm going to be on, on the mantra. Oh, there's the train. Oh, it's okay. So play with that. Um, and then, as we did today, to begin to think of thoughts uh, by categorizing them. So to begin to, as you're seeing, kind of like, what kind of show is this? This is a cooking show. This is a scary show. This is a, you know, historical drama. Like, what kinds of thoughts are playing, right? Is this planning? Is this ruminating? Is this uh, fantasizing? Is this worrying? What is it? And um, even just like, is this in the future or is it in the past? Future, past, present, mostly future or past. Often for me, it's a future thought of the past. I'm going to really be telling that person about what happened in the past. <laughs> so that's always fun to play with. Is this in the future or the past? I'm having a conversation with them in my mind in the future about the thing in the past. And so even then, playing with that part of it's in the future and then that part of it's in the past. Um, that allows you then to disconnect because if you come back to the present, it's like, well, okay. Um, and you can also categorize what the mind state is around those thoughts. So there's a thought and it's a, my mind is very contracted around that one thing. Or, no, my mind is open and free and spacious and that thought is in it. So to be interested in, you know, what's the theater like around this thought? Sometimes just like I said, the pleasant, neutral, unpleasant, just label them. It's a pleasant thought, it's a neutral thought, it's a pleasant thought. And then the fifth is to um, play with them. We didn't really do this today. We didn't have time. But um, to use the remote control to play with um, changing the thoughts. 
especially if the thoughts are negative, to decide to think about something else that's more neutral or more positive. Um, and it, particularly if you're wanting to play with letting go of thoughts, finding something kind of neutral and boring to think about um, can be a, it can be easier for the brain to let go of boring things. I use this a lot in my practice around insomnia. Often people think about very charged things when they're trying to go to sleep, and the brain will choose thinking about something interesting over sleep. Whereas if you can really think about something very boring, you're much more likely to let have your brain choose sleep. Well, it's the same thing in meditating. If you can really decide to think about something very boring, um, the, and neutral in, in content. Think about like all the way the furniture was arranged in some place you were at or something that has no emotional content but takes some mental, your brain will be like, no, I think I'd rather just be in my hands right now than that. So that manipulation of thought can be helpful. And then six, to go down like we did today, like we talked about last time with the RAIN practice of feelings, to recognize what might be happening down in the body underneath those thoughts. Um, especially if there's like a lot of judgment or um, rehearsal of something that's gonna happen to, to say, oh, I wonder what's underneath that, and to move down and see, is there emotion content that's being held in the body? I'm gonna let my attention fall into the chest, see if there's constriction or heaviness, the belly, again, is there information that I can have that's driving these thoughts? And if so, investigating, again, not the whole story of what it is that the thoughts want to take me to, but investigating where is that being held, and then the end, the nurture, and the non-identify, right? These are just thoughts. This is just what this thing does. It's what it's built for. Um, and what's underneath it and how do I take care of that? So the hand of the heart and the acknowledgement of, oh wow, these thoughts have taught me I'm in a lot of distress about this and to just let that be true in a tender way. And then the seventh thing is to, as we talked about before, sort of what I, uh, one of my teachers calls, you know, minding the gap, finding the spot between the thoughts, right? Finding that spot where your, your, your attention really was in the hands or in the non-thought space. And um, feeling the refuge of that. Developing the trust in that. Or developing an awareness. For many people, I think for most people, thoughts are how the self makes itself. And so thought, selves who really want to have a lot of control especially if loss of control has been frightening, whether past trauma or just if you're generally a, like to control the universe, like it's definitely my, my brand. <laughs> um, those spaces between thought at first can be kind of frightening <coughs> to lose that control. So the, the sort of um, sugar-coated version of mindfulness is it's going to be so nice to let go of that. Well, for a lot of people, that loss of selfing brings up anxiety. And so to begin to say, okay, that's the anxiety. That's why this is hard. That's a lot of why people don't like to keep doing this. So to give yourself some nurture. Oh, this is a different way of being. And if you've been a planner and a controller of things, then 
letting that go for seconds or minutes or longer, it brings up a whole very important and interesting uh, worthy place of tenderness and care. Okay. Um, and then, excuse me, the eighth is uh, contemplation, right? Like we did right at the end. A lot of times people ha- misunderstand that like the purpose of meditating is just the, the thing itself and then you're supposed to, when the bell rings, get up and go and do. And, you know, a lot of teachers, um, uh, Andy brought up Lee Raisington, a lot of teachers really say that the whole purpose of this is to gain insight. And so the insight that we gain from this, we should be having a period of contemplation at the end of each sit to think about, well, what did I just learn? And not just to run away from it. So having a little journal next to you to be able to say, what did I learn from this sit? And to write for a minute. Um, So to learn from your own thoughts, um, what have I been thinking about, right? Sometimes it's, I really got to write that person that note. Sometimes it's, I've really got to deal with that thing with that kid of mine. Finally, I've got to really confront that. Um, Or um, this is the kind of thoughts my mind has. Let let me track that now for the next few weeks. Oh, am I always having future? Oh, look, my thoughts are changing. So I'm a a big proponent of having a journal uh, right next to you or having a partner that you share. It could be a partner in your home or you could buddy up with somebody and say, let's text each other after we sit and, and, and contemplate. Right? insights that come up about uh, that you're learning from your practice. Um, so those are the eight things, and then, then to sort of broaden it specifically to how do we bring this into our mindful parenting. Um, so first of all, you know, modeling thinking time for your kids, I think, is incredibly useful. Having electronics-free time having time if you're on a drive where you're like, nope, no books, no, no distractions, we're all just going to think our thoughts, or letting them see that you're doing that. No, I can't really have you talk to me right now while I'm picking an activity. Maybe it's washing the dishes or folding. I just got to think about something, right? Or modeling that you have to think when you're going to make a decision, right? So if somebody comes to you with a request for a plan or something to say, I... I'm going to really think about that. I'm just going to sit and think about it. I'm going to let myself think about all the things I need to. And um, it can be a very powerful model. Or to say, I'm going to think about it, and your other parent's going to think about it, and then we're going to think about it together. We're going to take our sweet time to think about it. Sort of, can we go, can we go? Just, we're thinking. We're going to see what emerges. And often, I was thinking, and then it really made me feel, and I've got this concern. We can just model that at any time. And also having them watch us, if you can say, you know, when I was sitting today, I was really noticing, I was thinking about this, and it really made me think, I've got to really shift something about something I'm doing, because that came to me, and it was sort of, those kinds of conversations you can have very naturally, again, with another parent or with a friend, that models for them how they can have access to thoughts and respond rather than react, because of that nice relationship. And also, we can also teach them um, some of these things, like they're doing in the other rooms today, right? Get them a mental remote control, especially if they're like having an insistent thought. When are we going to get that? When are we going to? It's like, can we just get a remote control and let's let's have a menu of four or five other things to think about if they're worried about something or if they're, you know, 
just on one track, say, let's go into one of the other theaters here. In the theater, wonder what's happening, right? Um, when, last week, um, I was with all my kids, and one of them, I love when my adult children get real strong sibling rivalry about each other about something, it's very, that they still do that at whatever age. One of them was just going on and on about the other one was a favorite. I just found myself saying, wow, that's the world you're living in. I'm so sorry you're living there. <laughs> and we all just started picking that up as a, you know, like that, can, can we go to the other world next door where that's clearly not true? So whatever way you can begin to have thoughts um, be things that are chosen for or against. So those are some thoughts about thoughts. And we're going to break into discussion groups now.